I was 12 years old at a church camp in Trafalgar, Indiana. It was one of my first church camp childhood experiences, and I had the most gorgeous camp counselor in charge of myself and my group. I won't tell you what era this was, but um, it was the era of Michael J. Fox and Back to the Future. And she had Farrah Fawcett hair. She was probably in high school. She was beautiful, a beautiful bombshell. And I remember this distinctly. This is my camp counselor at a Christian church camp. And she confided in me that she wanted to have passionate love with Michael J. Fox. And she didn't say it in those terms either. She said it in a little more graphic terms. I'm a 12-year-old boy, like, on the verge of puberty, going actually going through puberty. And this gorgeous bombshell beauty with fair faucet hair <laughs> tells me she wants to make mad love to Michael J. Fox. Hmm, childhood. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. I'm walking through the woods and I'm carrying an umbrella, which is making a lot of noise. I'm using it like a, a walking stick because it could rain. It's been raining. It's damp and wet. The cicada are singing. The birds are still around. It's maybe it's early fall, middle fall. I don't know. It's a nice, pleasant day, but wet. Anyway, you're joining me. This is the Construction Monk, Construction Monk podcast, as I've said. Um, and I, I call myself a construction monk for two reasons, because I practice what monks practice, which is contemplation. But I am a common, everyday, skilled laborer in the construction trades. I'm a finished carpenter. I do home remodeling. So like the reason that I have named this podcast The Construction Monk is because I try and blend those two things, like the practice of contemplation and just everyday life. So I, I, I have failed to... Uh, explain that. I'm going to try to kind of remind people why, why I call myself a construction monk, and that is why. So today I want to talk about being known. What about being known? What does it mean to be known and how I believe being known is the center of what life is about? It's what life with God is about. It's what human, as human experience is meant to be about, being known. And, as I already mentioned, celebrities are like the epitome of being known. I think in our culture, where, where celebrities are like idols, right? They are the people everybody wants to know, aren't they? Like, that is the epitome of, of often what we think the good life is about. And why, why do we have this celebrity culture, even not just in Hollywood, like in every aspect of our, of our lives, even in Christianity, there are Christian celebrities, right? People that we really want to know, that we think are so awesome and cool. And we, wouldn't it be so great if we got to spend time with this person or that person? We all have our people, our peeps, that we think it would be cool to meet, right? Maybe it's, um, you know, maybe it's a spiritual, a spiritual giant that's alive today. Maybe it's the president. Maybe it's a, po a political person. Maybe it's an author or a creative person. Maybe it's a celebrity, a Hollywood celebrity. I don't know. 
But like, I want to talk about all of those things. Like, why do we like want to know these people? Why do we want to emulate those kinds of people? What does it mean to be known? Uh, um, you know, I discovered early on in, in that twelve-year-old experience with that beautiful camp counselor. Like, she thought the world of Michael J. Fox. He was, he was foxy to this foxy lady. <laughs> But she never even met the guy, right? She didn't know really who he even was. She just had, but she she felt like she knew him enough to, like, somehow want to marry this guy and spend the rest of her life with him, even though she never met him. You know, she knew of him, I suppose, through movies. Um, I think this is just an interesting phenomenon. I think I think we wouldn't frame. The epitome of the epitome of life and like the the deep and good the goodness of life as being known, but I think it is. So I want to talk about that today, why that is, and like what that looks like, and like what's the healthy version of that. There's an unhealthy version of wanting to be known. There's a healthy version, I think, of being known and knowing that we are known and being comfortable with who we are and where we are in life um so i remember i had this very distinct experience that this is kind of maybe what began to reveal this to me but i um was in my late 20s going to a christian college and i was doing a senior project with a couple friends a, a video and we worked hard on the senior project probably harder than we needed to we could have done a lot of different things. We could have written a paper or presented a little speech or a topic. We decided to do a video, very sweeping in nature. We asked, like, we had, like, six questions, and we interviewed people, asked them these questions. We interviewed the president of the college. We interviewed professors. We interviewed students and former students. The questions were centered around what is discipleship. We were at a, I was at a Christian college. Uh, that was training ministers, and we were just asking the question, like, how does discipleship factor in to ministry and Christianity and church life and culture? But we, uh, my, one of my friends interviewed one of his friends who was a former student at that school. Um, I'll call him Mr. Glover because that's, that's his last name. <laughs> so, so Mr. Glover's interview was really good. Like, he was currently a pastor at a church, I think a youth pastor, a former student of this college, and we were talking to him about his experience at the school and um, in, in light of this senior project topic of discipleship. And so we had we gathered all this footage together, and and we spent a whole weekend editing, putting it together into a like eighteen minute video for our senior project um, around the idea of like what how does discipleship factor into the Christian whole Christian experience and ministry in this college. And so I remember like editing this particular per this Mr. Glover's video. <laughs> I was going to say this particular person, Mr. Glover. And like, you know, so we would of course take snippets of interviews and try to feed them into the different questions. Each question led a segment of the video. I'm walking through a little miniature lake here that's uh, popped up on the trail instead of the trail itself. It's running through the trail. Anyway, really wet today. So anyway, I remember just spending a lot of time editing this guy's interview into the proper segments and piecing it together, you know, as a part of this bigger video uh, project. 
And like I just watched, I probably watched a lot. You know, I watched this guy talking. He's talking to the camera, but he was like talking to me. And I remember after that experience feeling like I really knew this guy. Like I spent time with him and feeling like he was a friend. Like I, I felt like I had become very familiar with this individual, but I'd never even met him before. When I did finally meet him, I just had this strange familiarity with this guy who had never even met me or didn't really even know me. He was a friend of a friend, uh, this Mr. Glover person. I just remembered being so struck by that experience, like just kind of thinking about like why did I feel like I became so familiar with him via this very disconnected medium of video and how could I feel so close to this person and feel almost to feel a, a kinship and a friendship when I didn't have any real interaction with this person or a real friendship with this person? Why, why in my heart did I feel so connected? I feel like I knew him, right? I thought that was such an interesting phenomenon. What does it mean to be known, to know somebody, to spend time with someone? It struck me that I could have that experience of feeling like I knew somebody when I never had even met them, which reminded me also of that experience when I was 12 of this this hot chick who had the hots for Michael J. Fox. Like, she didn't know, know this guy. She'd never met him, and yet she felt like she knew him. She was strongly attracted to him. Was it a superficial attraction? I don't know. But she had a sense of knowing him. I think being known and knowing, being known by others and others knowing us, I think it's the heart of life. You know, I think so many of our experiences are centered around this idea of being known. I think it is the heart of what we desire in life. We desire to be known. We desire for people to know us deeply and intimately. I think it's very fulfilling. It is what fulfills us in life, relationship and community. I think it's the heart of what makes life good. It's what we are truly always seeking in life. And I would say the at the other end of the spectrum of being known is being rejected as being worthy of being known, right? Love, friendship, all these things and their absence, I think are what create a lot of our dysfunction and, and, um, and, uh, ab um, I'm trying to think of the good word. It's what creates our dissident experience in the world, if I can put it that way. Yeah, it's, it's what really leads to a lot of sadness and sorrow and depression and anxiety. Like, I remember, uh, I've always had a certain social awkwardness about me. Like, I am a sensitive person and I feel, I just feel uh, the energy of spaces and people. And so I remember just most of my experience in life, I remember having these particular experiences where I'm walking into a place and I'm just feeling so awkward. I'm feeling like everybody's kind of watching me. And them watching me makes makes me feel like my legs are jelly. And I, I just have this, I just would have this felt sense of awkwardness. Like everybody's looking at me and, and uh, not liking that being looked at. What, what is that, what is that feeling? Or what, I, you know, I kind of thought about that feeling. Where does that come from? It comes from feeling like people that don't really know me are judging me. And I don't like it. I didn't like it. Feeling awkward about people who don't know me 
making a judgment about me from the outside. I think a lot of the dissidence in our human experience comes from that kind of thing where like we because we want to be known and valued for who we are, not what we do or what we know. And that's also a, a question of being, right? I really think we can found our our identity, our sense of worth, and our sense of self on three things. Being, knowing, or doing. And being is very effusive, ethereal, abstract. Um, we can't see someone's being. We, we do see, we try to see something about who people are through knowing and doing. Like what they wear, what they say, how they look, how they dress, how they move. But I believe being is always at the center of that. We want people to get who we are, the essence of our being, right? And I, I've, as I've kind of explored an expanded sense of knowing who people are, getting to sense who people are beyond the external and superficial behavior, the external you know, behaviors and actions and look of people, it's been interesting to me to try and see people, like really see people, to try and look at that young, vibrant, gorgeous, attractive woman in the grocery store and then look right next to her at her mom or a grandma and see that the external presentation is different. But what about the heart? <clears throat> like, what's the difference between a lady of 60 and a lady of 16? Girl, I should say. Um, <clears throat> Or a, a woman in her mid-twenties and a woman in her mid-fifties. Like, is it just an external? Are we just seeing the external? Knowing and doing? Or being? is What about being and how we perceive people? And what really makes a person who they are? What does it mean to be known? I guess what I'm talking about. What is our relationship? What are our, what are our relationships with others centered on? Is it centered on superficials, or do we really know, and are we really being known? What is really fulfilling in life? Are we image-based and surface-based in our sense of even our relationships? Is it important that we know the right people and be seen in the right places, and have the right religion and the right beliefs, and be seen as good people, and seen as, you know, taking the right stance on issues? Is our understanding and our relationships, all are they all kind of superficially based are they based on who we are at the core at the center is there a part of us that is it's kind of less changeable you know based on what's in our hearts and minds not what's on our bodies <laughs> not the clothes we wear or the car we drive or the house or the our financial statements you know it's like how do you evaluate people their worth how do you determine whether someone is even worth being known? Why is being known so important to us? And why is being rejected so devastating for us? And how do we measure those things, you know? We can take such superficial, momentary um, exchanges with people and turn them into such harsh and harmful things in our world and our perception. Someone can, one unkind word can just ruin our day or week. And many unkind words can change how we even think about ourselves. We can be very flippant in 
how we treat others and not understand that it has great weight and impact on how they see themselves. In all this, I'm, you know, being known is about taking the time to really know people. And like, what is it that you base knowing people on? Do you approach people from the surface level? Are they a Republican or a Democrat? Are they a Christian or an atheist? Do you just make general sweeping labels and put people into boxes and then you think, well, I know that person. They're a ultra-conservative, Republican, evangelical, and so I know them. I know them, and so I know I don't care for them. In fact, not only do I not care for them, but I... I'm going to take great care in marginalizing them in my world. They're not my group and my people. But do you really know them? This is something that I truly believe. When we can label people from the surface, we can dismiss them. We can marginalize and we can be very harmful towards them. But when, we, when you truly know any person, then you will love them. I believe that. I think knowing... It's a big concept, and I'm probably talking around it more at this point. But I think when you really know someone, you really love them. To know someone, you cannot truly reject or embrace someone until you truly know them. And I believe when you truly know someone, you will always embrace them, no matter the differences. Because you will see their heart, and you will see the, hum the humanness and the humanity. I think the only way we, re we truly can reject people is when we somehow find a way to marginalize, to, to turn them into a label, to put them in a box, in a general sense, in a disconnected sense. To marginalize and dismiss and exclude. But when you know someone, when you take the time to know anybody... You will love them despite their worst traits because you've come to know their heart and that they have a heart, that they are human and that they hurt and that they simply want to be known. So much of what we do in life is to be known. We want to be accepted. And so sometimes in a world that says, I'm going to accept these people and not those, if that's the game, if that's the game of being known, we have to fit certain boxes and be accepted by certain people because there's, there's, there is this dichotomy, what we could call dualistic thinking. There are the people we want to be known by and know, and there are the people that we think are not worth us knowing. If that's the game, then we must define ourselves by what groups we claim and what groups we reject. In the game of trying to be known we can attempt to be known by playing that same game and saying, well, I'm a Republican, conservative, evangelical, and so in this group I am known and loved and accepted. It's the acceptance game, right? But it creates a rejection game. It's like the trade-off. Well, if you're a liberal... Um, if you're a liberal, democrat, environmentalist... LGBTQ rights, social justice person, you are the opposite of my boxes and my camp, and I'm going to reject you as a person. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be just only dismissive and marginalize you. I'm actually going to kind of say, you're not even worth being known. You're not worth having space in the world. 
You're not worth my time. You're not worth my heart and my care. I'm going to work for my group. The group that I want to know me, to affirm me, is the only group I will affirm. So being known becomes a game of trying to become known ourselves. To be affirmed and loved and found worthy in a system that says you're only worthy when you fit into the boxes of certain groups. It's a separatist approach to being known. It's not personal. It's not individual. It's group thinking. It's power structures and group belonging. But it all stems from the real, I think, and deep, true desire to be known. And it also stems from the reality that we brush up against so many people that we have to try and find a way to be known in a world that is so ambiguous. I just passed a dog walker and it's starting to rain now too. Um, like I think at the heart of all of this is just our desire to be known. So we face a world and so much more a global world where we feel forced into boxes to be known, to serve that need. I kind of opened my umbrella here. Interesting side note. Um, I came to the mouth of the trails here and I saw this umbrella just sitting on the ground. And I grabbed it and here I am. It's raining now and I have an umbrella. Ah, that's what I call providence. Anyway, um, I think so much of the distortion and the marginalizing and the, just the ways that we, kind of the dysfunction of our human experience stems from wanting to be known but attempting to be known in unhealthy ways by only identifying with one group in our attempt to be known and valued. And unfortunately, it does work to a degree. You know, we find camaraderie, we find belonging with the group. But I would kind of ask, or I would ask the question, like, what do we sacrifice? And only being known by one group in one, in one way, you know, we, we have to kind of, in many ways, squeeze ourselves into that group and that system of belonging that... You know, whatever tenets or foundations of belonging we agree to, then we're kind of stuck there too. We're, we're, we're squeezed into something that maybe doesn't fit us. And actually, I can say without doubt, that doesn't entirely fit us as a whole. So there's always this tension when it comes to being known and belonging between needing or, to, you know, or wanting, really, really needing to belong to a group, but also there's the tension of the ways we don't necessarily fit in with everything about that group. And so, in essence, sometimes our systems of belonging can also be systems of hiding. Our way of being known, of attempting to be known, can actually make us become invisible. They can, our actual means of trying to become mainstream can actually marginalize us. Is that not, is that not crazy? Like, I've picked my group, whatever that is, religious, political, social ethnic and I'm belonging in this group but then I'm an individual within this group that has maybe some different ideas from that group but if I express them too much if I stand apart from the group too much I lose my group status but if I don't kind of compromise a bit and 
kind of put some bite my tongue and put some of my own personal passions aside, I may lose the group belonging that means so much to me. So there's always this tension. When we found our belonging, our desire to be known in this way, when we actually found it through division and separation and segregation and discrimination. <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? Have you ever thought about that? We discriminate to be known. We segregate and isolate and box ourselves in and then actually that can become the very reason we're not known. Not only by the groups outside of our group, but also within our group. Well, I was at church last Sunday and the pastor said, X, but I believe Y, and what's going to happen if I speak up? I've experienced that personally quite a few times. I remember in my 20s, I was part of a college age group. And the church was going through a, a sermon series on baptism. And within our group, we were discussing the same series, which was very, it was very good. But we all actually found that we had a lot of we had a lot of difference, and there was a lot of differences in opinion on baptism between our group and the main line of the church. And I, just being the inquisitive um, person that I am, took it upon myself to kind of write out my own thoughts on baptism and share it with the church. It didn't, didn't line up with the church very well, and that was not received very well. From that point on, I felt marginalized and pushed out and kind of unwelcomed. And I've had that experience over and over with churches and mostly churches, church groups where it's just that tension of like to belong to that group, I have to maintain a certain level of similarity and assimilation, right? But that can also be so life-killing. It can be so, it can squelch life, you know? It just it can seem very exasperating when it comes to wanting to be known. When we found this whole thing, this whole being known thing on like-mindedness, on ha shared communal values, I don't think it works. That's kind of the point I'm trying to make. What if we can just love people for who they are? differences and similarities it doesn't matter is there a way to have one large box without like ignoring or eliminating the smaller boxes that people fit into is there a way that I can be a Democrat and you can be a Republican but we can still value each other we can still even desire to know each other and feel like there is a beautiful and a beneficial relationship to be had is that possible is it possible that the way we play the game of being known or attempting to be known and valued is it possible that the way we play that game is actually unhealthy and leads to what we see in our current culture people in their corners screaming at each other calling each other evil and bad labeling contentious marginalizing you know, as soon as one movement pops up, there's the counter-movement. Whether it's political or religious, social, it doesn't matter. If there's a pro-choice, there's going to be a pro-life. If there's a Black Lives Matter, there's an All Lives Matter. Or a Police Lives Matter. If there's a liberal, there's got to be a conservative. There's a yin and a yang, always. 
But you know what's interesting about yin and yang? The Eastern mindset, it's not opposites in opposition to each other. It's opposites in balance. It's what they call either or, not both. I'm sorry, it's what they call both and, not either or. That is what I call um, non-dual thinking versus dualistic thinking. Dualistic thinking says there must always be opposites. I can only understand my identity, value, and worth as opposed to something at the opposite end. If there are conservatives, there must be liberals. And so on. If there are Christian, there are, there are theists, there must be atheists. And we can tend to define our group more by what, what we're not than what we are. I'm not like them. I don't believe that. So dualistic thinking is that way. It's, there's always the in and the out, the us and the them. <laughs> the yin and the yang out of balance. If you notice that symbol of yin and yang, I'm saying it right. I don't know if it's yin or ying. I think it's yin and yang. But that symbol is two teardrop shapes that form a circle. One is pointing around to the other and back, around and around. It's a flow. It's not a line with two dots on the end, separate, separated. It's a circle that flows constantly into itself, always. One black and white, one into the other. And if you notice in that symbol, it's not gray. It's not a blending of all things into this amalgamous, undefined, unrecognizable, you know, blah and blase and bland thing. It's not about liking nothing and making no distinction. It's black and white. And in the white there is a black dot, and in the black there is a white dot. It's about the idea that you can make distinctions. You can be a conservative, and someone else can be a liberal. But it doesn't mean you need to be separate and apart. There's, there are things that bind us together. Big things. The biggest things of all. Maybe there needs to be liberals and conservatives. Maybe both are necessary to balance the world. Maybe socialism and capitalism are necessary to balance each other. Maybe capitalism without socialism would run rampant over the poor and the powerless. And maybe socialism without capitalism would simply take away uh, every, uh, the rights of individuals to kind of pursue their own path, right? Can we not see that maybe balance and making space for all things is the best? And when it comes to being known that you can both sh have shared experiences and shared beliefs and also differences, and that's okay. Is there a space where you can truly be known for all that you are, the good and the bad, where you can even embrace yourself and every part of you, and you don't have to separate and say, well, that's the bad part, and we just shove that aside and try and separate from it, and that's the good part. But maybe there's space for you as an individual to embrace all of you, and for you to embrace all of others as well, whether it's an individual or a group, where you can see there's diversity. That's what I like to call unity in diversity, where we don't found our desire to be known and valued and loved through separation, through either or. Either you're with me or you're against me. Either you're in my group or you're out. Either I love you or I must hate you. Either you align with me enough and we don't really talk about our differences or you don't like or believe anything I do and then I can hate you and marginalize 
you, not care about your thriving and your good, and not care whether you have what you need, whether you are loved, whether you are known. I think, um, I think that speaks to a lot of the dysfunction of being known, and maybe that's all I've kind of pointed to so far. I hope that in that you can hear also like the hope and the idea that that maybe we need to do things a little differently or a lot differently when it comes to how we value other people and whether or not we feel they have a right to be known. But I also want to talk about being known in a broader sense. I think that um, the reason celebrities appeal to us so much, whatever kind of celebrity you may imagine, you know, Hollywood or just anybody that you consider someone who's like super cool and you just love to, you know, love to know them. They, they would be cool if they knew you. <laughs> you know, I think that phenomenon is appealing because we see those people as the most known. We idolize them. And you could be more superficial and say, well, no, it's because it's the fortune and fame, right? They've got, maybe it's just about the fact that they're known gives them access to things we don't have. Money, influence, power, access. We could see it as access, but I believe at the heart of it is truly a desire to be known. And we see celebrities are the most known people. And even in our smaller circles, in our smaller worlds, we have our celebrities. It can be the boss at work, the manager, that cool employee that everybody else seems to think is just awesome. Maybe it's the person who's just the best dressed and has the nicest car and seems to really have it all together and have the life everybody else wants and would like to emulate or steal. <laughs> you know, maybe as a Christian, it's your pastor. You know, everybody wants to be close to the pastor. They're the cool person. Everybody wants to know them because they're also the most known. Like The most known, it's interesting. It's almost like self-fulfilling prophecy. Like The most known people the people we most want to know. Why? Why do we think they are kind of the epitome of our world, whether it's on a global stage or just the local stage, you know? <sighs> because that's really what we want. We want to really be known. I mean, if you think of the celebrity phenomenon, what is it about? We feel like we know someone and we don't hate them. Like I guess you, there's that's not a celebrity. I would call that that's called infamy, not not being famous but being infamous, <laughs> right? Being being universally hated is not what I would call celebrity status, right? Um, but when we think of a celebrity, we think of someone who we really admire and we look up to, and we think they've kind of got it made, and they've kind of got like we would like to know them and them to value and know us because we feel like they are someone who is who we really like we feel like they are a good a good person and a valuable person and if we were valued by a valuable person we would be more valuable so it's really a value based in proximity when you value someone else and think that they're the world if they valued you you would feel like you were the world right I think that speaks to not only the fact that we want to be known and that we would like to be known as universally as possible. Like the more known we are, the better we would feel about ourselves. That's what I think that's the celebrity phenomenon. But I think it also speaks to the idea of God, who is the 
God is the universal consciousness in the world. Like to be known by God, I, I think we desire to be known as universally as possible because we desire to be known by God. That's what I'm saying. And, but if, if you don't believe in God or hold that idea of much value, or if you're not religious, I think it, that, that desire to be known by this universal consciousness expresses itself in the most universal kind of way of being known possible, which is just celebrity status. Does that make sense? A celebrity for you is kind of like an idol. It's kind of like a lowercase g, God. They've achieved a status of being known more universally than you could even dream of, right? <laughs> um, my eight-year-old son, actually my nine-year-old son who just turned nine yesterday, he watches Ryan's World. This, this is a kid whose parents have helped vault him to celebrity status. They, through YouTube, they created a show, I believe it's through YouTube, um, it's called Ryan's World, and he just like it's just kind of a kids' variety show. He plays video games, and they just do lots. They have guests, and they just do different things. But my nine-year-old son, one time, he uh, he heard I was going to Houston on a work trip, and he's like, "Dad, you know that Ryan lives outside of Houston. He lives in a suburb." He's like, "Can you, if you run into Ryan, can you get his phone number? Can we go visit him?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, look." Um, I'm not going to run into Ryan in a city of, I don't know, millions of people. One and two, you know, it, it it's not going to happen, son. I'm sorry, but that's just not how it works. Like celebrities tend to avoid being out in public because it's, you know, they're celebrities, right? Like there's that price of being known in some ways that you don't have much of a private life. But um, I thought it was so funny that he like... He had spent time with Ryan, right? He admired Ryan. Why? I mean, Ryan, if you've ever watched it, maybe you haven't, but Ryan's just a kid, and they just do fun stuff. And he gets to do fun stuff, and of course, that's probably really cool to my son. Like, there was one episode where, for one day, his dad had to do whatever he said. And, like, the first thing he asked for was his dad to buy $500 in Ro Robux, which is from the game Roblox. And my son loves that game, too. And so he's like, Dad, can we do that? Ryan got to do that. And I'm like, um... I'm not going to spend $500 on Robux for you. It's not in the budget, son. And really, no, it's not practical. But like he saw that. He admired it. And he's like, that's so cool. He gets to do cool stuff. I want to do that stuff. And he really wants to meet Ryan. He feels like he knows him. He admires him. He's, he's this kid. He's a celebrity. My daughter and I, every night before we go to bed, I sing her a song. Lately, we've been listening to... Instead of me singing, I guess she's tired of me singing. <laughs> I'm not that good, really. But um, she, instead, we've been listening to a song on YouTube. And every night for the last month, it's been Kate, a Katy Perry song. She will gravitate towards the same songs sometimes. But sometimes we'll explore new ones, or I'll take a turn. So she'll get a turn, I'll take a turn, and I'll listen to a, a new Katy Perry song. And I actually really like the videos. She's very creative. Um, there's certain ones I avoid because they're, my daughter is five and there's just some content in some of Katy Perry's songs that's not appropriate for a five-year-old. Let's just put it that way. And not something I particularly want to watch either. But overall, I like Katy Perry's creativity and I like her lyrics. I like Some of the things she's talking about really are deeper. But my daughter... <laughs> You know, at some point in the period, in that, in this season of watching Katy Perry songs, she's like, "Dad, I want to be Katy Perry." 
And I was like, oh, so you like you would like to be a singer and be really popular? She's like, no, no, I want to be Katy Perry. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> like, why? She's Katy Perry's a celebrity, and she admires her, right? I think that phenomenon is so interesting. But why? Well, my even my five year old daughter wants to be known and wants to be special, wants to be loved and admired and accepted and embraced. I don't think it's selfish at the heart of it. I think it can be translated and manifested selfishly, but I think it's a good thing. I think we want to be known and loved for who we are. I think it's good. I think the celebrity phenomenon is simply really a manifestation of that deeper desire in each of us. It's why there are celebrities and why we want to be like them, because they're the most known people we know. And we want to be the most known people we can be. We want to be valued. We want to be loved. And I think, but I think it all really tailors and tapers back into this universal consciousness we call God, loving us, knowing. I mean, you know, let's just talk about kind of how we perceive this God character. No matter what religion you may be, or whether you're anti-religion, like we can kind of play with the stereotype. Like God is this, the creator of all the material universe, right? omniscient and omnipotent which means god knows everything and is everywhere at all times and sees everything at all times and like it is the most known like the most knowing being in the universe he's like santa claus times a million has this god this idea of god is this person who knows everything about us but the other side of that at least the positive side is this being who knows everything about us everything everything Emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, and yet loves us, loves us completely as well, right? That's the good version. I mean, there, I know there are other versions, and that's a different discussion, but like this idea of this divine consciousness that knows us completely and loves us completely, embraces us like, that sees our worst, our worst thoughts, our darkest thoughts, and is with us in our darkest days, and yet still embraces us like a father and a mother, that carries us and hugs us and we can run to them when we're hurting or when we're happy and they will lift us up and embrace us. This universal consciousness, I think, represents the true reality of a God who does, who is that most positive image, who does love us, who knows us completely. And it represents this one being who, with whom we can be known completely and be loved completely despite and regardless of our good and bad. We want to be known. We want to be known completely, and God represents at least the idea that that is possible. And I think God is the only being who has the potential to do that for us. And we run and we look for it elsewhere. But it can only be found in God, truly. Truly in God. Um, <laughs> Trying to remember this country song. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Remember, it's <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in all the wrong spaces. I, that's all I remember of the song. I, I probably haven't heard that since I was twelve. But I remember that song. It's like when I think about that, I'm like. I think that's true sometimes to our story. Like, we're looking to be loved and known, and we're, but we're looking often in the wrong places and group belonging through segregation and division. Through either or instead of both and. And God is a both and. 
Do you love me? Am I good enough to be loved? No, but yes, I love you anyway. Am I worthy of being loved? Always. When I go, even on my worst day, do you still love me? Yes. I always embrace you. I love you. I know you. You know me completely, even the worst parts, and you love me anyway, both and. I know you completely, and I love you completely. God represents the love of someone who doesn't pick and choose, doesn't label and segregate and separate for the sake of who they love and who's worth being known and who's not. Our heart of hearts, our desire is to be known. There's this verse Paul talks about, and I don't remember the reference. He says, Now we know in part, then, he's talking about heaven, then we shall know in full. Or he says, Now we see but in a glass darkly, now we know in part. Then we shall know in full, even as we are fully known. To be fully known and to know in full, I think, is where we are headed. I think we are fully known by God. I think one day we, we will be fully known by each other. There won't be the separation of our souls and spirits, this division. But I think the goal is to lean into that now, to lean towards a knowing that is all-inclusive, just as God's knowing of us is all-inclusive, an embracing of every person. Despite the differences, unity and diversity, or unity in diversity, not unity and uniformity. To be loving and embracing of all people. To not use our differences as weapons, to not weaponize our preferences and our passions. If you're passionate about the environment, that doesn't mean you're necessarily anti-capitalist or capitalists should hate the environment. I mean, this either-or thinking, either you're a capitalist or a socialist, either you are for the environment or you are for making money. Like, can we not see that these divisions are what's creating such, a, such depravity in the world and disparity? I can either care about making money or I can care about the environment. No, no, who said that? Who told you you could do one or the other, either or? I can either love Democrats and hate conservatives and Republicans or love Republicans and hate Democrats. No, no, who said that? You don't want to be a moderate. They don't care about anything. <laughs> no, that's not true. They care about everything. Can we find a space in our hearts where we can care about everyone? Not everything about everyone. But when you care about everyone, then you find that you can love everyone regardless of what they care about or don't care about and how that aligns with what you prefer and favor and what you don't. <sighs> I'm carrying this umbrella around, spinning it around in my hand. It stopped raining a while ago. I don't know why I'm, I'm going to collapse this thing. My God-provided umbrella. Here we go. I don't know. I mean... How does that strike you? That sound crazy? I'm trying to wrap up this umbrella. Hold on. Does that sound far-fetched? Does it sound un unreasonable? Does it sound crazy? Well, maybe I'll try and wrap up with this idea. My experience, I'm a mystic. I'm a construction monk. I've experienced God. 
I've experienced the heart of God in the world. It's what I call being present to the presence. <sighs> I've begun to really be in tune with God in ways that put me in connection and in communion with God's heart. I feel God's heart for me and for the world. I've never, never understood, understood God to be so loving and embracing as I have now. The God I used to know was not the yin and yang God. It was the either or God, not the both and. It was the God that loved me and didn't love the people not like me. It was a God who loved Christians and hated atheists. It's a God who loved Republicans and hated Democrats. And yes, I used to be a Republican conservative. It's a God who loved evangelicals, but not Catholics. My God, my God, my God hated a lot of people. My God was like me. My God affirmed my stance in the world as exclusive and oppositional to other people's stance in the world. My God was an either-or God, but the God I've come to know as I've come into contact with the real heart of God is a God that is both and. A God that loves sinners and saints and the God that knows that that's both. Like, that's all of us all the time. We're all sinners and saints at the same time. We're all good and we're all bad and we're all broken and we're all healing and we're all a mess and we're all clean. <laughs> we're all struggling and we're all also holding it together and we're all most importantly loved and worth being known and we all matter and we all have value what if you treated that beautiful blonde bombshell the same as that gr that gray-haired grandma what if you had the same interest? Not that you found them sexually attractive, equally sexually attractive, like, okay, uh, let's be realistic. I'm not being absurd. But what if you found value in both and, and saw both as having worth and being interesting people? Like maybe that younger female or male, if, if that's what you're into, you know, if that's you, maybe that they're, you know, that the interest you have in them is fine. They're attractive and that's nothing wrong with finding beauty, external, superficial beauty in, in things. That's okay. God created the world beautiful. But what if you also saw that that older gentleman or woman had a wealth of wisdom and knowledge about life that was also interesting, stories that were interesting? What if we valued the young and the old, the yin and the yang, the both and the and? <laughs> what if we could learn to value all things in their uniqueness, in their diversity, but it, with the same tenor and tone and the same heart, the same embrace. Not, well, I like her, but not him. I like that group, but not this group. I'll accept those people, but not those other people. I like that skin color, but not this skin color. It's okay to prefer to have preferences. Like, I like blonde hair and not black. That doesn't mean I reject people with black hair. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you can have your preferences, but understand the place and the superficiality sometimes of our distinctions. Like, every person has value. Every person is fascinating. Every person has stories. Every person has lived a life and has wisdom. Man, I am learning that so much more. As I've embraced a God who embraces everyone, 
I've started embracing everyone. And I have, man, I have a really good friendship right now with this atheist friend. I think I've mentioned him in the last three podcasts. I talk with him more than anyone right now as, as far as friends, not family. But I, I'm learning so much from this guy. I love his heart. I love, he's, he's a great cook. He's a, he's a painter. He, uh, for a living, he paints, but he builds furniture on his, in his spare time. I build furniture. It's like I'm just enjoying this friendship and we can we have a lot of differences, but as I've gotten to know him, I realize we have so much more in common, and our differences are not obstacles to being known to knowing each other. I think that's important. Like recognizing difference in people is okay. Separating from people because of differences is not. When it comes down to it, the reality is, if you focus on difference, you will end up alone, because nobody else is exactly like you and when you sacrifice your uniqueness for group belonging you stop even knowing yourself you can get lost in the crowd in the group how do we maintain our individuality and fit in with a group in a way that honors and values both our diversity and our specialty our, our uniqueness and our individuality right Again, it's not either or either. We're individuals and we honor individuals or we value groups and cultures. You know, how can we value everything all together and make space for everything? How can we let being known really be the foundation of our love for people and our interest in people? Like, how can we see that every person really values or has value to be known and is valuable and worth being known. I think, I think you know, if you did, did this experiment, uh, I, you know, I did this. I was, I was, in my late 20s, I went back to college to finish my bachelor's, and there was a professor, very astute, intellectual, very unemotional person, and I took a class. I did not like the subject material. I did not like his approach. I just really started to get down in the mouth about this professor and his views and his biblical views and his way of interpreting the Bible and blah, blah, blah. And I just didn't like So you know what I decided one day? I was like, you know, I'm going to start sitting with this professor at lunch and just get to know him. Through that process, I, I found he was just a person with a heart and experiences and great stories and that we had things in common. By the end of that class, though I still didn't like the class or his views very much, I came to value him much more, and I actually had a 19, or I'm sorry, an eight, late 1800s version of Pil- the Pilgrim's Progress. I, I have collected antique books over the years, not so much anymore, but he, uh, we had read Pilgrim's Progress as one of my other classes on, on um, Christian literature, but he liked that story, and I had this really rare copy. I wrapped it up, and I I put it in his mailbox with a note and just said how much I appreciated him as a professor. I gave him that awesome gift, something I knew he would really appreciate. And that, you know, that, it changed me. It changed how I viewed him. I decided to get to know him. I believe. Try this experiment. Take any person that you hate. Find out more about them. And I mean, try to be genuine in that, not just seeking out articles about that show them in a bad light. This happened with, with me and John Brown, the um, some people call the instigator of the Civil War, the incident at Harper's Ferry. But I began reading about him, and I just, it's a very controversial figure, but I began to fall in love with this, his heart. 
he wanted he felt slavery was so evil he was a christian he felt like it was an abomination to god <laughs> and he gave his life trying to instigate a revolution to free slaves i fell in love with this person who was long dead when i was born but i got to know his heart so i i challenge you someone you think you hate get to know them however you can and see if there's not love there see if you can't see if this experiment doesn't ring true that once you truly know someone you cannot hate them i believe that i believe that's what it means to be known and i believe when we start to make that space like if you can make space to love people that are so different from you that just seem to really irritate you and you just don't like maybe that gives you space to believe that people that don't seem to like you can also still love you and maybe we can all step into the space where yeah maybe i don't like your views on things but i'm going to love you anyway and when we live in that space i believe that is a god space that god invites us into but it's a god like space where we are loving everyone if you li- imagine living in a world where you felt like everyone truly loved you no matter what no matter how you looked how old or young you were what you wore i talked about that experience of walking into crowds feeling so awkward like people were looking at me and judging what if we felt like wherever we were in a crowd of people everybody valued us no matter what how would that feel different how would you feel different and how would then you be different in the world <laughs> i think that is an astounding vision of what humanity could be and is meant to be and i believe god is leading us there but whether you believe that god is or not or god even exists let's go there either way let's seek to value being known knowing every person the same and believing that we can be known and loved by every person and doing the same for others Maybe that's kind of the golden rule. I also believe that when we are known by the biggest knower in the universe, it does put us in this place. It helps us not only imagine a world that could be loving for all, but that is the biggest heart and mind in the world is truly embracing of all people, loving and kind, and not this not this either or dualistic god, but a both and um non-dual god i believe that thanks for listening guys this has been the construction monk podcast i really appreciate you hanging in with me just listening and hope it's hope it really has encouraged you and challenged you too and i love all of you i appreciate you listening you can always check out more content at www.moderncontemplative.com Take care, guys. Learn to be a loving person. Let's learn that you are known and worth being known, and so are others, too. All right, bye.